The following audio is from LCBC Church. To learn more about LCBC, visit lcbcchurch.com. Yep, so we opened up a series called Slacktivism last week, and I gotta confess to you, I gotta make this confession to you right this second, I've been a slacktivist in my life, which I'm sure you've been a slacktivist at some point, because we all wanna do good in the world. I mean, for my slacktivist moment, uh, a couple months ago, well, back in February, come to think of it, uh, there's an organization that was talking about uh, human trafficking, and obviously we need to take care of human trafficking. We need to pay a lot of attention to it and help to eradicate it. Uh, but I remember there was this group that said, put a little red X on the back of your hand, and you can go around on a particular day, and you can talk to people about human trafficking. And nobody really noticed I had a red X on the back of my hand because, I don't know, nobody really says much. And by the second or third person that maybe did ask me about it, it was hitting me. Like, I know nothing about this. You know, like, I should. I should be doing a whole lot more about it. But I really was being a slacktivist. I mean, honestly, that morning it had snowed. And I remember doing the front walkway. And when I got to the end of my walkway, I saw my neighbor's walkway. So I did my neighbor's walkway. I did more in that moment than I did putting a red X on my hand. And that's kind of the idea between, between, behind slacktivism. Slacktivism is the act of supporting a cause or desiring to see change, but putting forth minimal effort, commitment, or risk. It's the whole idea of the remote control empathy, like, I feel you, bro. Um, the, the whole idea of like an armchair sacrifice, clicking a like, signing a petition, wearing the ribbon having the wristband, those ubiquitous wristbands, uh, or the selective targeting uh, boycott. So I'm not gonna go to Starbucks on Tuesday. They're gonna feel my wrath. I'm gonna change everything. And honestly, listen, this is where the church has the opportunity to shine, because we're gonna be talking about serving today. Last week, we talked about giving money. Today, we're talking about serving and doing something. And the church through the ages has done some amazing things and not so amazing things. But when the church really shines, it serves. It does something. It actually acts in the community. It just doesn't sit back and empathize. And even from the start, I mean, from the start of the whole movement of following Jesus, from the first couple of decades after Jesus rose from the dead, what made Christians obvious was what they did, okay? So we actually highlighted a verse last week from an early follower of Jesus, uh, John, the disciples, the youngest disciple. When he got old, he had a bunch of people that followed him, his disciples. He was writing a letter to them, and he said this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's actually do something. And so we arrived at this idea that as Jesus followers, we want to have the kind of love that's easy to see. And it's easy to see because it's an action. It's not just talked about. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a lyric. It builds. It cleans. It shows up. It does. And so what I want us to do, I want us to look at another Jesus follower today, another early Jesus follower named Paul. And he talks about what we should do. And he gives a justification for it by talking about what Jesus did for us, that Jesus humbled himself. He came and did something. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. All our campuses, we got Bibles right near you, in front of you, beside you, wherever they are. Go ahead and grab those. We're going to open up to page 900. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2. If you've got your phones, you want to open up your phone app to uh, your Bible app. It's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading the uh, first 12 verses of Philippians chapter 2. And what's interesting in this letter, and remember, this is a letter from a Jesus follower to other Jesus followers. Look at all the verbs that are used. Look at all the actions that are outlined in which he talks about what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just feel he didn't just think, he actually did. So we start off here in verse one. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? 
Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So these are rhetorical questions basically saying, are you with me? Are we all on the same page? Or are you where I'm at in terms of wanting to follow Jesus? And he says this, if so, verse two, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Now, apparently the Philippians, they were doing a pretty good job, but they also had a problem with getting along with each other and seeing eye to eye in terms of working together in unity. So he's addressing this and he does it very theoretically at first. He says, don't be selfish. Try to impress others. Don't try to impress others. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Now, this is a great definition for humility. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Okay. And he says, don't look out only for what, or don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have, now listen, he just finished up kind of like the theoretical. You got to be this type of person. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then he outlines what Jesus did. Now remember, Paul is kind of summarizing here, but there's something more beyond just summary. He says in verse six, though he was God, he's talking about Jesus here, though he was God, he did not regard or he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he highlights a series of verbs here. And this is so important. In the yellow, look at all these verbs that he says that Jesus did in verses seven and eight. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Verse eight, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. He humbled himself. He came and he did something. And see, what's so important about this is that we've got to connect here that love is not just a thing we feel. Love is a verb. And when you hear that love is a verb, I mean, it's just such a simple thing. Uh, some of you, now listen, most of you have never heard of the song Love is a Verb, okay? It's from like the 90s. A lot of you are just like way too young to even remember the 90s. Some of you are like way too old to even care about this little known group called DC Talk that I remember as like a college student. Love is a Verb. It's a, it's a great song. It was like a rap song and I felt so like with it because I like this rap song. But honestly, I remember hearing this song and it was like an epiphany to me. I was like, wait, no, love is a noun too. We can talk about it because I'm very specific with like grammar and speech and stuff like that. But when and I thought about it. I'm like, no, that's so true. You can't get whether someone loves you just by a facial expression. It's what they do. So love is a verb. And so for those of you who now maybe have maybe heard about this song, it's just going to be going on in your head. You know what I mean? And for the rest of you, you're feeling left out. So I got to help you out here. This is how the song goes. It goes like this. Pulling out my big black book. Because when I need a word to find, that's why I look. So I moves to the L's quick, fast, in a hurry. Threw all my specs because my vision was blurry. I looked again, but to my dismay, it was black and white with no room for gray. You see, a big V stood beyond my word. And yo, that's when it hit me. That love is a verb. So there you go. Yeah, had to, had to throw that out there. And you are a part of something very special because that'll be the reason I won't be up here anymore. So... 
We have a group of elders here that just went, no, thank you. <laughs> but you got to be you. You know, you just got to do your thing. But honestly, when we look at this particular passage, I want this to burn in you. Well, let's go back to that. Love is a verb. Let it burn. Okay, we'll just stick with this. God humbled himself. <laughs> and we're going to go back and forth. This is great. So let that burn in you. Uh, whatever you do in terms of serving, that love is a verb. But the summary then of these passages, now we can go to this. God humbled himself. He came to this world and he acted on our behalf. And that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying, look, this is the summary. God humbled himself. He came and he did. And so for us, it's got to be that same kind of idea. Humble yourself. Go. Do. Humble yourself. Go. Do. And so let's break down those three things. Humbling himself. He came to our world and he acted on our behalf because, you know, we can do all the cute little rap things and we can talk about all these things. But listen, when you slow down and look at what Paul's talking about here, there's some pretty incredible, staggering. I don't know what you can use all these kind of words, but until we really dig into what Paul's talking about here, we're not going to get it because most of us, when we read through verses six, seven, and eight, we, it's almost like we look at it like, oh, it's poetry. Oh, that's a nice way of saying it. Or, you know, we rip through it and we're like, well, it's a summary statement, but it's so much more. So it's almost like we got to climb inside what Paul was intending through these three things. First of all, God humbled himself. And again, the first thing we go to is like, oh, okay, well, he did something for me. No, no, this is so much more than that. It says, though he was God, he did not think that equality with God was something to cling to. Now listen, God, who resides, we'll, we'll say God resides like out here, right? And here's us over here. God came in the form of a person, Jesus. And so when it says he humbled himself and he did not regard equality with God as something to cling to, Paul uses the word cling. It almost means like grasp or clutch, like, no, I need to have this. It's almost like Jesus said, nope, that's okay. And, and the words he uses here are very telling and very specific. Paul says, Jesus came to this world and he was still fully God, but he was also human. And he uses this word here to mean like almost like emptied out. He emptied out, not his essence. He was still fully God, but he emptied out some of the power of being God in order to be among us as a human, fully God and fully human. And so now think of this for a minute. In the process of humbling himself, he had to think of our thoughts over his own. Now think about that for a minute. God who, I mean, if we could climb inside of his mind, all the things that he thinks of, I mean, like everything, everything from keeping the universe going, you know, like the strong force, the weak force, the electromagnetic force, the gravitational force, all the science involved in the cosmos expanding. That's all in his mind. It's going on constantly. Not only that, but there's seven and a half billion people that at varying times are calling out to him, cursing him, talking to him. He can hear all of it. He's got all of these thoughts, all of these ideas, all of these concerns. I would say he's got an infinite number of concerns and thoughts that are going on constantly because he's God. He's all wise, all knowing. He knows everything from the past, the future, all of it. It's all going on in his mind. And yet he put our thoughts above that. I mean, think about that for a minute. If we don't stop to pause to think what Paul's talking about here, when it says he humbled himself, he put you at infinite worth because you went to the top of the list. Like, that's insane. 
And then it says that inspired him to action. It says God came to our world. Okay, he was born as a human being. Again, he was fully God, but he came to this earth. He emptied out some of who he was. Not, not who he was, but like some of his power. He still retained fully who he was. Who he was, God is like the essence of who he was. But he became a human, right? And now this is so weird. We don't think of this often. Like, where did God come from? We always think of God like hovering somewhere, but I, I don't know. I, it helped me to think of this for, for a minute. It's like God is not like within his creation. Like he's present everywhere, but it's not like pantheism. Pantheism says that like God's in the lights and he's in the carpet and he's in the rock and all that kind of stuff. We don't believe that God is pantheistic. We believe that, we believe that God created the world and he's outside of the world. It's almost like he's got a workbench and he goes, here we go. And he created the entire universe, and the entire universe is expanding at this amazing rate. Some of our best scientists from within that creation are looking through their telescopes at the edge of the universe that's receding from us, and they say it's receding at the speed of light, and some scientists say, no, it's receding at beyond the speed of light, which is like impossible, but it is. They don't know whether it's their instruments or their calculations, but it seems like the edge of the universe is receding from us as far as we can see, and, and as best we can tell from what we can see, it's about 100 billion light years across. That's how big our universe is. And God is outside of it. And he came to us within it. He crossed 100 billion miles, 100 billion light years. I can't even think of how tremendous that this is like an infinite amount of distance that God comes for us. You ever think about that? I mean, that should blow our minds. So it's not exaggerating to say that not only do we have infinite value because of what God done, but he also, it means that he crossed an infinite amount of distance for us. And then what he says he did here on earth is that he humbled himself, like God, obeyed God. And he came here and he did something. And what he did is that he died. And this is something I still don't get. You know, I'm a pastor and I still don't get this. Is that somehow Jesus becoming human, he was fully God, so he knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He was completely clean, completely sinless. And when he went on that cross, it was almost like he was a sin magnet. He took your sin, my sin, everyone's sin, past, present, and future, all of it went on him on that moment on the cross. And guess what? All of that sin died. And there's something weird, and I don't understand it all. I, I get it logically, but I just don't understand it like metaphysically what happened there is that there's a point in time when I say, Jesus, I want that in my life. I want you to forgive my sin. My sin goes on him on the cross and it dies, which is insane to think. That's impossible to think. It's like God died. God's the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the one who keeps things going. And he died. God did the impossible for you. So this isn't just myth. This isn't just some ideas. This isn't poetry. Basically what Paul's saying is God saw you as infinitely worthy. He crossed an infinite distance and did the impossible for you to hear this message right now. I mean, that, that should blow you away because that is a love that's easy to see. And so that's what Philippians tells us. That's what Paul does in terms of him kind of summarizing it. But guess what? It's not just a summary. 
It really isn't. Why did Paul summarize this? Because he wants us to do it. He wants us to do the same thing. Sometimes God does things not just to get his love to us, but through us. The reason Paul even launched into what Jesus did for us, he said, I want you to go and do the same thing. I want you to humble yourself just like Jesus did. I want you to go just like Jesus did. And I want you to do something just like Jesus did. I don't want your admiration. I want your participation. This isn't something that we just look at and say, well, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Let me sip my coffee. No, that's like, okay, I get what you did. You did it for me, and it's applied to me, and I accept that. Now I want to go and imitate it. I'm going to go and do it, because that's what Jesus' people do. Imitators of God's love do things. They don't just say things. We follow that formula then. We humble ourselves. We go and we do. And when you break that down, that's, it's real simple. Humbling yourself, go look at verse three. Humbling yourself means this. Think of others as better than yourself. That phrase, better than yourself, it's actually a word. It's one word. And it means actually to view someone as superior to yourself. Now think about that for a minute. He's saying Jesus did that for us. He viewed our concerns as superior to his own. God viewed our concerns as superior to his own. So it's almost like, man, if God can do that, why can't we? And then go, get up from where you are, do, do the thing that puts the other person first. So, okay, so how do we start with this? So if we understand it's humble yourself, go do, how do we even start with this? I would say you start with your core. Everybody has a core, everybody has people around them that influence them, that are tight, that are, they live with, whatever it is. It might be your wife, it might be your kids. You might be 22 years old and you're sharing an apartment with a couple other guys and your roommates, that's your core, that's your family. Maybe for you, you work 10, 12 hours a day, five days a week. Guess what? That's your family. <laughs> that's your core. Honestly, even though you don't like them that much. I mean, that, that's who they are. I mean, that's, that, that's your core. That's who you should be serving. Thinking of their highest need, going and doing it. So you sit down, you got your snacks, TV's on, and you're going to watch the football game. And then you think, okay, so what needs are higher than mine right now? You go to the dryer, you take out all the stuff out of the dryer, you put it in a basket, you sit down, you click back on the game, and you fold the clothes. Because that's what humbling yourself, going and doing means. You know, I think of, I think of two young adults that I see regularly uh, who have uh, an apartment, they share an apartment. Um, so, uh, yeah, Hayden and Austin, these two guys. They're telling me about how they have this struggle with washing the dishes, you know, and like somebody did wash the dishes, somebody didn't wash the dishes. Now, I know guys, and I know guys that share an apartment, they will buy a new sink before they have to actually empty the sink of the dishes, okay? So this is real. This is you humbling yourself, going and doing. It means getting a chisel, putting on a face shield, and getting the fuzz off, getting the microbial agents off of whatever just grew in that sink for the last six months, and getting those things clean. And you might say, yeah, but what if I get walked on? What if they just rely on me for that? For all, you, know, you might be. You might, people might take advantage of your goodness, or they might be inspired to do what you're doing. I mean, that's what I think. I think if you're 17 years old and you take out the trash, your mom will fall over without even asking. She'll be like, what? Who is this person? Humble yourself. You think, well, I'm 17. I, everybody has none. Humble yourself. Think of someone else's needs above your own. Go and do. 
Serve the people that you see and live with. Now, you got your core, now you go out beyond that, your community. You know, the people that you bump into regularly, the people that you rub elbows with. And you know, LCBC is a community. You realize that? It's kind of hard sometimes because LCBC is so big from our smallest campus to our biggest campus. You know, sometimes we think of this place as almost like a religious mall. We just get in, get out. Man, I hope I don't hit too much traffic. I'm going to come in for my one hour of inspiration and go home. But this is a community of people that need. And you have things, if you were to humble yourself, that you could provide them with. You could come an hour early or maybe stay an hour late and and watch their kids in Kidman, or you could be working in parking ministry or ushering or whatever it is, you could actually help other people get to their gathering. Or you know, you could join a group. You think, I don't wanna join a group. Those people are weird. There's all kinds of weird people here. Well, they might need you to not be weird, you know? <laughs> Maybe you need to get in a group and show them how to not be weird. Humble yourself, go and do. There's all kinds of opportunities for that, but today, What we really want to highlight, this is kind of like the marquee event for today. We have this opportunity beyond our core, beyond our community, into the crowd. That we want our community to reach outside into the larger community of wherever we are, whatever campus we're on. We have the opportunity to serve people outside this community with our community. It's a moment for our church to reach beyond the walls. Today, we're going to give you hundreds, literally hundreds of opportunities for you to serve. And this is where we have the moment to shine. This is where we can actually put into practice what we believe and stop being slacktivists and stop being people that talk about following Jesus but never actually do anything with it. I'm not saying everyone can serve. I'm saying everyone should serve. Everyone listening to this should take a step in serving because Christians have for too long relied on thoughts and prayers. And it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're super young, super old, it doesn't matter because we all have the opportunity to serve. I mean, imagine if God, when we were in need and we were separated from him, he just looked down from heaven. He's like, thinking of you, of you. (laughs) He didn't. He humbled himself. He went and he did. He found the time. And I know that's going to be number one objection. So I want to take a minute here about time. Because even in talking or even thinking through this talk, I thought to myself, man, where where are people going to get the time? Where would I get the time to do this? Listen, that's all a part of what humbling is about. The whole idea of humbling isn't about your attitude. It's about actually saying, look, other people's needs are more important than mine. And I get it. Your plate is full, right? I know your plate's full. My plate's full too. But guess what? You know what you do when your plate's full? You put some back. You know, when you're at the buffet line and you got those mashed potatoes and you're like, and you're like, oh, wait, what do you do? You go, conk, 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 and you get some, and then you put it on. That's what I'm asking you. I'm doing the conk, conk. That's all I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Thanksgiving dinner's coming, right? At Thanksgiving dinner, what do you do? They say, well, would you like some more? Nope, nope, making room for pie. Now, half of you are going to not do that anymore. But that's the idea is that, like, I'm just making room. I'm asking you to put some back to make some room for serving. So I'm asking you, most of these opportunities that we're going to give to you on the way out of here, all our campuses on the way out of here, you're going to hear about what you do, and then you're going to go out, and hopefully I'm asking you to stand in line and sign up for a slot. Most of the opportunities are between an hour and a two at most, and that's it. But most of us have two hours. We all have Two hours we can put back. Put back two hours of gaming. That's two Madden games. 
That's two hours of shooting random people on a game. Okay, just put that back, two hours. Two hours of a movie, two hours of the Netflix series, two hours of scrolling through Instagram. I'm asking you to put that back and exchange that for serving. I'm asking you to say, you know, you might say, hey, they all, they all sound like neat things. I never get time for Instagram. I never get time for any kind of movies or anything like that because I'm driving my kids everywhere because they got this sport and they got this lesson and they got that. Blah, blah. Guess what? If your kid's in two or more sports, you tell them to pick one, okay? Why? Because they're gonna get arthritis anyhow, okay? And you don't want them to get arthritis because then your medical bills are gonna go through the roof. And honestly, if they're in like two sports or more, they should only have one sport. Get rid of, tell them to choose one. When you choose one sport, you're not driving all around and then they'll actually have dinner again, okay? Because dinner time is gone. They will grow up not knowing what dinner time is with two or more sports. And then that's bad for you because when you're 95 years old and you're living in the basement and you come up for air every now and then and your 65-year-old kids, they're off at Silver Softball League and they're not even making dinner then and you're like, where's the food? And they put a hungry man on the table and that's no way to live. It's no way to live. So if you want to eat hungry man at 95 years old, keep doing what you're doing or you can dial it back and pick one thing, one thing. Family night. You want to have a family night? Well, we want to have family. Make, you know, take the family to go serve. Date night. Guys, talk about an opportunity to flex. I mean, this is great. Like, we're going to go do great things for the world. And then, you know, if you're at the retirement community, you're helping out, you can sneak in a cuddle every now and then. It's a little creepy. I would suggest later, but, you know, you can do it. I, I don't know. Maybe you meet somebody on Saturday mornings for coffee. Bring them along. This is a great punishment idea, too. I mean, your kids, they mouth off at you. You are serving, young man. If you're younger and you, you, know, you, you go to the pub or the club, I'm asking for 45 seconds of outrageous nerve of saying, hey, guys, next week, let's go rake leaves. Now, you might be really cool or really alone. It doesn't matter. I'm just asking for you to have some nerve to do it. The point here is that there are so many different offerings. You can serve meals. You can help transition people from being homeless, mentoring, retirement communities. You can rake leaves, make cookies, painting, doing yard work. Everyone here has two hours over the next month. You've got two hours that you can spare. We're all the same amount of busy. And your church is asking you to join it to reach the community. Look, Jesus left heaven you can leave the fuzzy blanket and the Hallmark movie for one night. One night. And that's the second reason you won't see me up here ever again. Because <laughs> all the elders have wives who just said, yeah, that's not going to happen. So I know. You're thinking to yourself, well, there's a lot of logistics involved. I got to put up with the kids complaining as we drive there. You know, I'm, that means I'm going to have to leave behind where we all hang out on Friday night. If you're 22 years old, I know what it's like. You go to this place, you go into somebody's house, and everybody sits on a couch somewhere, and you're all on your phone. They won't even know you're gone. <laughs> they won't. You'll, you'll actually, like, be serving, and you'll, like, post something, and they'll be like, wait, John's not here? Wait, I didn't even know. Oh, yeah, he's not here. I would say this. The next time you all hang out together, say, guys, got a great idea. This time next week, we're all going out and we're going to do a drive-by. 
Drive-by raking is amazing. You take a bunch of rakes, you put them in the back of a car or a van or whatever, and you go looking for leaves anywhere. And then every place you find leaves, you just rake those bad boys up as best you can, bring them to the curb, and then you take off as fast as you can. It's so much fun. And you know, I've done this so many times, I've become really good at explaining to the cops what we're doing. So come to me, and I'll explain it to you how to do it. And then you go out to Wawa or Sheets afterwards, and you load up on stuff that'll shorten your lifespan. So that's awesome. So it's like a win-win. Look, everyone wraps up a sermon with an action point, and here's yours. When we're done here, we're gonna have, all, all across our campus, there's gonna be somebody to come up here and explain what are the next steps and what to do. I'm gonna ask you to take seriously, humble yourselves, go and do, and actually go out from the gathering space and actually sign up for something because it could be a start of something really cool because we are not just talkers. We are not just people who push buttons or wear wristbands put little magnets on the back of our cars. We're actually people that humble ourselves. We go and we do. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to um, have some outrageous nerve even right now. Because I know that so many of us are busy. So many of us are even struggling right now to think of where we would find time to do something like this. But I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and to think of other people's needs as more important than our own. And Lord, I even pray that as we venture out into this, whether it's an hour or two that we serve, I pray that you would do something really cool in our lives and show us a routine of serving so that we can be Jesus followers who aren't just all talk. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.